Good evening. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Uh, Eddie, Mr. Leeway, all hail the kingpin. Yeah, if I had a nickel yeah. every time I heard that. Come on. I had to no. say it. I know. know. That's my line there. I had to say that, too. Yeah, you do. You do. Because you know what, though? I'm going to tell you what. I don't usually fall for the cliche and, and, and whatever. And um, I, I don't know. Maybe because I'm not in, especially in the loop of, of hearing a lot more of your peers. So I really haven't heard it a lot. Yeah, it, it is the best line. All hail the kingpin is like the best line. It should be like a, a brand. It, it's so good. So, let's give you a props on that. Growing up in New York, and you see how people, instead of uh, being just an honest working man, you know, just took angles from the streets. Yep. To to attain power and money, you know, uh, a lot of kids look up to that, and then they fall into that path. So it was a very satirical line, you know right. what I mean? Because I did write early on, especially in the first two albums, uh, not so much like just about crime, but but about the organized crime mentality, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, La Cosa Nostra, Mafia, mm-hmm. or street and drugs, like a kingpin, drug kingpin, or, or even, you know... Uh, Hip hop uses the pimps. That's what I think a lot of people see. Like, I think it's very interesting. You, you had a different angle coming in. So, a lot of people coming in, and like to myself, like if I heard I'll Hail the Kingpin as an introduction, it's fun because I've heard it on a different level. Yeah. To me, it's a different. I, I did not grow up in the same world that you grew up in. I did mm-hmm. not grow up in the streets. So, to me, I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. If someone says that every time I walk in a room for the rest of my life, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. You have a different version of it. So, to you, it could be like, well, I get it, but whatever. So, you know, it's how, about that? how about how about all hail the badass Eddie? How about that? That'll be my new one for you then, okay? Because that's who you are to me. You're a you're a badass. So I appreciate that. You are a strong man. We're gonna talk tonight about he's got some stuff going on and he's 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 done many things. He's beaten many things in his life and he's got a couple of new things he's gonna he's gonna beat up. But we're gonna start a little bit more in the beginning. Um, some of your struggles early on. Let's let's talk about a little bit like you into leeway and some of the the, the the levels of that falling into addiction and stuff, kind of set the base of some of the things you've already started to handle and, and beat. Well, addiction really didn't start taking a hold of me until about 1989. Now, before then, you know, I was a teenage kid, you know, I like to smoke weed, occasionally drink. And that's what we did on the weekends. You know, we held down jobs weekends. We would break night and go to the city and, a seven or other clubs and or hang out in one of the local pubs on the lower east side and uh you know do our thing and it slowly built into something else because the lower east side was one of 12 areas within whole five boroughs in new york that provided and exploited the human condition and fulfilled the need of cocaine and heroin crack, you know what I mean? And my thing, I think, turned into opiates and heroin simply because of my own inner insecurities and self-esteem issues. And, uh, you know, when I started becoming a serious, you know, full-blown addict into 1990 after touring with the Bad Brains in 89 for their Quickness tour, you know, I started really going through a seven-year loss, six-year loss, where I was pretty much 
caught up and caught out there most of the time. You know, there'd be, be breaks in between. You know, maybe I'd do three months without getting high. And then I'd go out one night and I'd have too many drinks. And it was only uh, too easy to go two blocks and pull 10 bucks out of my pocket and start all over again. Yeah. And that's that's really what it did. And And the more you get caught up with the drug, as you see people decline and age and fall apart, your, your inner strength to beat it and your mental strength starts to really deteriorate and, and people just become weaker and weaker and weaker where it's, it's virtually impossible to get past this demon you're in, you know, and, and, you know, look at people who got caught up in the first wave of crack cocaine, you know, the addiction was probably more when they were on the drug but once after being up for three days or less and crashing, you didn't have to wake up with withdrawal symptoms where you had these flu-like symptoms that made you have to rush out and go get more drugs just to balance yourself out and feel like a normal person. You know, that's, that's the battle with opiates and opioids is you need a certain amount and a certain dose three, four times a day just to feel like a human being, you know? And, and it's a fine line because, you know, you're not getting this from a pharmacy. You're getting it from a bag from some drug dealer who got the package from a bigger dealer and who got their drugs from a wholesaler. Now, you know what I mean, it's, it's yeah. a fascinating course of how it reaches the streets, but uh, you know it's a very devastating drug, and it's still prevalent today out in a lot of uh, urban communities. And it's gotten worse with the uh, pharmaceutical companies. I guess the easy, easy go to as well. He was in a band of drugs, and you know, as you do bands, you know, you're in a band, you do drugs. But you, like I said, you did it. You started afterwards. Just even as much focusing on the band situation. So, but more on the path of addiction and how how your how kind of flow through your music it's boring you first started well when you started though like did, were you a drinker at all like when you before you were in leeway were you a partier did you like do weed and, and drink a little bit with the band i love my weed you know it wasn't really that much of a drinker i really wasn't and then you know as i started getting involved with the music scene and you know the nightlife you know you look for certain things to get buzzed on to have a bigger enjoyment you know what i mean and then sometimes when you don't feel satisfied because you've been doing that for so long, you try something stronger. You try something, you know, on some bullshit experimental trip to tr experience this and see what this is about. And that's what is about. And, uh, you know, opiates, like uh, William S. Burroughs said, is like the great controller. People will crawl through a mile of rotted, you know, effluvia in a sewer to get to that drug just to equalize themselves out and not feel sick. Yeah. Meaning withdrawal symptoms. And, uh, you know, I tried it in 86, but I never really pursued it until 89. I was making too much money working in clubs as a bartender 
doing the shows, uh, you know. How did it play into like girls, you know, all those things. And uh, when I first started up the courage to go get the drug from the drug spots myself, that's when the floodgates were open because like, oh, I could get this, you know, uh, I'm not going to get ripped off. I'm not going to get robbed. I'm not going to get beat down. I can handle this. So it starts happening to like once a month, once a week, twice a week. Within five months, you're taking your shit every day. And even if you're just sniffing it, after sniffing it for 60 to 90 days, what happened to me, I was, I was sitting in a jail cell feeling drug withdrawals and realized, oh, you just got your first dope habit, Eddie. Congratulations. And then there was like a six and a half year battle from there. Treatment started to work for me in 95. And not just being in a program and stuff like that, but we had to get to the root of the problem. Because if you're a drug addict, you do have mental health issues. That's where the beast really sits. You know what I mean? And every addict has to come to terms with their depression or their bipolar issues or even schizophrenics. You know what I mean? It's like those three main mental health issues seem to feast upon addiction in a huge way. Yeah. You know, so, you know, 95, I'm off the streets. You know, I stopped putting needles in my arms to get that shit right in me and everything. How did you survive at the time? Like, I I never understood this. Like, like, so... Because you're in leeway up until like two albums and you guys broke up, whatever. And you run the time you got into drugs with bad brains. That was probably like your last tour with leeway, right? I bounce out credit. You know what? It's like I get an apartment, first month's rent, first month's security, pay a month or two or try to, and then bang out the apartment until I got evicted. You know, I'd hustle this, I'd hustle that, you know, whether I go to my record label at the time rifle as many promos as I can and go sell them at the local record store. Go see, excuse me, a friend of mine at Epic Records, rifle through all their shit and then go and do that. Or straight crime, you know, straight crime. And and it was, it was a battle for me because, you know, as much as hardcore has crews and there's a gangster mystique in it, I never wanted my criminal life to be a part of who I was in my musical life. I always mm-hmm. wanted both worlds separated. Like um, I told you before, my father was involved in organized crime. So I had an understanding of the life, being an Italian kid from an Italian father, who, if he wasn't such a cowboy, could have been made in one of the five families in New York himself because he helped uh established the modern day chop shop. He had a real career. He was a film editor for WOR TV channel nine when they were in the empire state building before they went to see caucus. But at night, you know what I mean? He did this other nefarious lifestyle and, you know, addiction ran on both sides of my family. So not being educated and aware of the pratfalls 
and the way New York for the last hundred plus years has had an average of a quarter of a million addicts on the street since as far back as 1905, it was only a matter of time for someone like me and a lot of my friends to get caught in that downward spiral. You know, so after the treatment started taking and I, I really wanted to get better and I started educating myself, I had a much better idea and what I needed to do and what I needed to battle instead of just being emotional all the time, wearing my heart on my sleeve, looking for a fucking excuse to relapse and go get high again. You know what I mean? Like uh, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night who looked up to me, uh, he was the drummer of Warzone with uh, Ray Beatty's Barbieri and a bunch of the other guys. And, uh, you know, it's like, I think now, like the guys, I tried to say, do as I say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But they, you know, it's like, I, I introduced a lot of people into this dark life and, and, you know, the same way someone introduced me into this dark life that, you know, it's, it's a shameful cross to bear, you know, because we all were in just a exciting part of our lives, but didn't know better. You know, it, it, it's almost like not paying attention because you're giggling with your friend, you step into the road and get hit by a car. Mm -hmm. It's a little slower in the timeline. It's not just like immediate, you know what I mean? But it's almost the same shit because right. you think you're having fun and you're just not looking both ways. And all of a sudden, you know. I don't think there's anything ashamed of because a lot of reasons why you end up doing it is because of one reason or another, like you said. You know, it's, you know it's, and, and no one's leading anybody better. That's, that's really what yeah. it is. Like, damn, I, I wish I'd never did that to this one I wish that one didn't do what right. I did because you know yeah the kid wanted it you know what I mean or something uh you know if he didn't do it with me he would have done somebody else that's what it is you know what I mean yeah, but and, you'll feel horrible because you no no I get that I know I'm, I'm just telling you as an outsider to be like you know what it's not to push it off like a lot of people at that time and that you know if you're in that spot to, to do it with one person, you're probably going to do it with somebody else. You're not, if you're not seeking out. And at the other time, you're not also, and probably the person I taught you or you learned, you're not like, well, I'm going to take this so I ruin my life and get an addiction. I really, I'm going to teach this person to do this so that something really bad happens to them. No, because that's not what you thought it was. That's not who you were. It was just a bad choice that you made that you weren't aware of that just kind of filtered through to more people. A lot of people got it that way. I don't think anyone's out there to, to take a drug to destroy their life. Luckily, they're all still alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, at least I don't have to feel as guilty as I just, because I care, you know, and give a shit. So, you know, 95 treatment comes in, I get better and better. I'm 11 years into my recovery and I wind up breaking my neck. I believe it was October 18th, 2006. I don't want to get too much into the story, but I was heading out to New Jersey uh, I was in a very bad mood because I started separating myself from a lot of street characters in those 11 years. But one happened to have found me and would be calling me incessantly and driving me up a wall. 
and he really put me in a bad mood as I was on my way out to Jersey to work on a set list just to start doing live shows again because I, you know, I took time off from the thing. The band fizzled out after the Olympics of like 2001, 2002. I was done. You know, if I was going to go back to it, it was on my own terms and course. And while I'm out there, I got into it with a street rat. And I wound up getting the jump on him and I stabbed him in his taint and he almost bled to death. So I got locked up and I was looking at a serious, serious amount of time. We're looking at like, you know, attempted murder, seven to 12, you know, on my way to Robway in New Jersey. Like That's that. a crazy spot to stab somebody too. I don't think I've ever heard of a stabbing like that. I, you know, all I wanted to do, I, I pulled out my exacto knife because it was two of them. They were bigger than me. You know, um, I just wanted to get a jump, hit him in his ass. You know what I mean? Give him like a warning yeah. shot. Yeah. But, you know, I wound up catching him right between the cheeks, up and in there. He jumped five feet off the floor into a huge flower pot. You know, I got I got into my friend's car. We bounced, but someone got the license plate and the whole task force of the, the Newark uh, train station came to the house, 13 cars, like, you know, wow. coming after me like I'm gas pipe castle or something, running in the crazy crime family. And within about 38, uh, 30 hours when I was locked up, um, I was being taunted by one of the corrections officers when I finally got into what is their main jail in the county, Essex County. They call it Big Blue because it's one big blue jail, you know, system and facility. Uh, I really started becoming more and more unglued. And at some point I snapped ran the length of the fucking bullpen and put my head through a plexiglass partition. And at that time, I broke my C5 and C7 vertebrae. So of course I'm on the ground, you know, I got a leg twitching, you know, one of these black kids are going, yo, look at that nigga's neck bubble up. I knew things were bad. I knew, th- I knew things were bad at the moment. So they tied my hands and my legs down. They got me on a board in an ambulance. They got me to University Hospital in Newark. Uh, took a while before they attended to me out of the ER and gave me something for my pain. And uh, what they wound up doing was going through the front here and it was a surgery where they harvested the two uh, vertebrae that I needed now because I destroyed the two in my neck. They harvested them from a cadaver, transplanted them into me with a metal hinge behind my esophagus, along with two screws. Uh, you know, and and I was in what you call a halo. You know, a halo is. Mm-hmm a steel halo ring where they take screws, they bore two into your forehead and two right behind your ears. And today, like if I had short hair buzz behind there, they look like little 22 caliber holes 
probably what you would see as a scar from somebody who survived like a mob hit or something. So it's like four screws into your skull, two posts in front, two posts in back, and this huge chest plate to screw in the posts so you stay rigid and your neck doesn't move. You basically feel like you're a person with a TV set on your head. Like that's, that's what it felt like. You know what I mean? And even when I had to wear that for three months, I couldn't really put a shirt on, but I still found a way to cut it down the middle, you know, baby pin it and put a big jacket and hood over me. I still went out, you know, made my uh, medical appointments and everything else. I kept fighting. I kept fighting. And, uh, you know, I beat that too, you know, and, uh, you know, what about doing drugs during that time, like the temptation, because usually people that beat drugs and they get hurt, the first thing they do is they get on pain pills and it usually helps them. They usually That's getting the shit out of me because, yeah, here I am in the hospital, right? After the surgery, because they did it that night, like they did the surgery within 12 hours, I assume. And I've got the morphine gun button. I could press for morphine every five minutes. And believe me, I did. I didn't abuse it. But I, I, I don't know if it's psychosomatically, but after being on the morphine for like uh, four or five days and then being on oxycodone when I get, got home for another nine because I was in legitimate pain and I was off it for so long that I didn't feel withdrawal symptoms. It was the you know, t- most twisted surprise for me ever. You know what I mean? Because I, I really expected that, okay, here we go. Here we go. I, you know, I'm on morphine for five days. Now I'm on oxys for another nine to 10. That's, that's 15 days over two weeks of being back on hard opiates. You know, I got to go through this shit again. But uh, I got pretty lucky with that. And then, uh, you know, the neck issue was about 15 years ago, and now I've been introduced with a new challenge. You know, I guess it's like uh, being Muhammad Ali and having to uh, step back into the ring and, and, and the, try to hold on to the belt. Some really good things, though, since then you've been clean, you started your podcast, you've got a new version of the band together, you've had new singles out. You got you got a relationship, got a great lady, got some family. I mean, you've really you've helped people with addictions. I've of... always done that, especially over the last twelve years when people started. Well, that's what I'm saying. Out. When, yeah. You know, somebody reaches out to you legitimately, you can't. You know, I'm not the type that could just ignore that. And I've established some great relationships and friendships due to that bond. You know, because there mm-hmm. are a lot of great people that succumb to this or succumb to addiction per se, you know what I mean? And and they could be doing wonderful things if they could just get past that. You know what I mean? Like all the work you put into to try to maintain a daily heroin habit or oxy habit, you you could be doing wonderful things in a job or career. You know what I mean? And people can't really find the two. Maybe it's just because of their own personal mental health that brings on a laziness, 
or, or um, a lack of confidence, but there's something about addiction that makes a person drive and drive and drive and drive like the, you know, the hamster on a wheel. Right. I, I just think it's important that, like I said, you, you've been an advocate for helping people with addiction and you've been, it's not like you've taken the time and, you know, you're just telling one story after another today. You've done so many things to help out so many other people. And I think it's important. I want to say aloud because you won't pat yourself on the back. You've done a lot for a lot of people. And I think, I appreciate that. I, I think it should be out there. I mean, just, you know, and, and you've gotten through so much stuff. You've done so many good things. And, and now please now share. I just want to preface how much you've done for people before you share your, what you're going through now. Yeah. Well, three weeks ago, like I was saying, um, <clears throat> right around uh, my partner, Carol Lee's birthday, January 20th, I started enduring a lot of pain in my right side here, especially in the back. Now, when I broke my neck on the left side here in the back, I had a pinched nerve for like a couple of years. And this almost felt like the same thing. So we just assumed it was like a muscle pull. And after I endured that for two weeks, I came up here to do some work and do a session for an EP that I was supposed to sign on for. Uh, I started coughing up so much blood. I mean, I, I could have started the exorcist, you know. So I had no choice but go to an ER, get the x-rays. They found the malignant mass on the right side and the top part of my lung. So here come the CAT scans, here come the MRIs. Here comes uh, what they call, I hope I get it right, like I said earlier, a bronchioloscopy, which is basically a, two, uh, a camera put into the bronchial waves of your lungs to get an exact look of what the mass looks like, how big it is, and what's wrong with it. You know, how bad, you know, is it leaking that much blood? Is it doing this? Is it doing that? So I've been diagnosed with stage three edema carcinoma. It's a very aggressive cancer. Uh, they're afraid that it may uh, spread to my liver and brain. So uh, after being in the hospital for a full week and, you know, I stopped coughing up blood for about five, six days straight. Actually, I haven't coughed up any blood since the biopsy on Monday. Uh, you know, I was able to get let out and I've already started the scheduling for the chemotherapy process at the end of the month. I'm just going home for a week, kind of put some affairs in order, uh, had to go fund me going because I have no health care, you know, I'm more or less an itinerant musician, you know what I mean? Uh, who's riding on his youthful legacy, you know, going out there doing shows and recording once in a while and to, you know, just keep, a, keep the dream alive and, and do what I love doing, you know, but, uh, it's a lot to take in. And it's been quite a challenge to come to terms with it. But I've, I've, like you said, I've, I've been through all this shit before. Night after night during drug addiction, I risk getting grabbed up and killed or shot, you know, going out into the Bronx or uptown, whether it be Spanish Harlem or, or regular West Side Harlem. 
by myself like a white boy and going into the deeper depths of the Lower East Side to do my thing because I was a very solitary ghost of an addict. I really didn't run around with people all that much. Uh, if I could do all those things, you know, I can definitely take this fight on and see how far I can take it. You know, uh, it's just a shame because, because I had the addiction to pain meds. It's not easy to be uh, given a small dose of a pain med and have it actually work for me right now. So I'm trying to adjust to all of that and it hasn't been easy. I haven't been sleeping well. It's, it, it's been quite a challenge. But, you know, the treatment's going to start in a couple of weeks. The doctors feel very confident with this. And I don't feel like I'm being bullshitted. I can kind of tell when I'm being bullshitted. Uh, they can't really promise me much time right now. But, you know, I know I'm going to have, you know, three, five, seven, ten more years provided I take the treatment provided I improve my diet and not just eat anything thinking, you know, I can anymore. Uh, I've definitely, you know, have put a stop on the smoking. The cravings are hard as fuck. I mean, I've been dreaming about it. I kind of calling this weekend, my bachelor party, because, you know, as I'm trying to stop, I have had like one cigarette each day and one joint, uh, you know, but it's like, I literally try to smoke uh, the cigarette, take two drags, put it out, two drags, put it out. I'm not going to lie and sit here and say I quit smoking. Yes, I did not smoke for eight, almost eight days while I was in the hospital. Then I came back out. It's, it's kind of like my way of saying goodbye to it. You know, but it's good because it already tastes like shit to me. So it's like, I, I know that this is all over. You know what I mean? So, you know, I know come Monday, once I get home, I'll be in a better place. I'll start going back to the patch. And, you know, because when you use those things, nicotine gum and the patches, like people who vape, you don't realize you're building your nicotine habit and appetite. And that essentially means you're also building your cigarette habit. You know what I mean? So I've really brought my whole nicotine level down to a very low point that it must have been since I was a kid right now. And uh, it's going to make it that much easier to put it all behind me after I get on the bus tomorrow. You know, I, I know you know I, and, you know, I, I love you weed. Opiates. You know, if you can be opiates, you can beat that. You know, and, you know, I love my weed. You know, I, I do believe it's medicinal qualities, but I don't have to smoke it. I don't have to smoke it. I can make a tincture. You know what I mean? I, I know how to make can of butter. You know what I mean? I know how to cook with it. I don't have to fucking smoke it and still get benefits to help me endure the chemotherapy and keep my appetite. Is smoking it bad right now? Like, is the smoking part of weed bad for you right now? I've smoked a pack a day pretty much for 40 years. No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean weed, not, not cigarettes, but weed. Would smoking weed right now be bad for it? I, I don't really know. I think anything in your lungs would be bad for it, whether you're smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, or vaping and coating the insides of your lungs with a fucking, you know, popcorn oil. 
You know, all this shit is bad. Like for me, if I really want to beat this, you know, I'm saying goodbye to it. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm marrying into a new healthy lifestyle. I have no choice. If I want to live, if I want that love and gift of life for as long as possible, well, then I have to marry into the faith. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, the plans that I have to marry Carol Lee and be a stepfather to her kids and to, to be a mentor and peer to them. I have to commit lock, stock, and fucking barrel. You know, there's just no way to half-ass it. You know, so that's what the last 72 hours have been since I've been, you know, discharged is just coming to terms and preparing to, to you know, line up for battle. It's got to be hard. I mean, you've got to emotionally adjust to it. And then, of course, you've got uh, a girlfriend and, and, and kids, you know, not yours, but you, you know what I'm saying, that and you have to face to talk and to. talk to. And, I mean, yeah, you have to talk to them. They're going to have to see you, you know, so you're going to have to shoulder that difference too i mean well i know she's doing it with me because she needs to for her own sake i don't want to see her go through this you know Mm -hmm. um her oldest her boy you know hates smoking and uh you know he's gonna be happy to see these changes and everything else and, uh, you know, we just, you know, you can't, they're not old enough to understand what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as long as they're seeing positive changes, you know, that's really the bottom line to all of this, you know. And, and this is also why, not just because I need the support of others, but, uh, you know, this is, this is where I am now, where... I'm more determined to help and provide with information and, and, you know, tell people about my struggle so they don't have to go through it themselves. You know what I mean? Like when when I'm in the middle of Omaha, Nebraska, and I got a 24 year, 24 year old kid coming up to me, thanking me and telling me how my words in the music that I've been a part of have helped him through his addiction with crystal meth, you know, that's where the reward is for me now is in those places. You know, it, it's not just, you know, getting applause after I do a fucking song, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like this, this is where I've been at. This is why podcasts are important to me. The whole conversation stimulating uh informative you know and and it shows it shows people that i actually have an intellect i'm not just some you know guinea street kid that that you know made a bunch of wild you know moves in his life and did a bunch of crazy things to establish some fucking legend that you assume i am this is the best way for people to see exactly who i am you know, warts and all. Yeah. You know, I think it's important. I think it's important. I think a lot of people need to see what it's like, you know, either that, you know, life's going to 
you know, their life vehicle is going to hit the wall at some point, like it's hitting the wall for me right now. Again, you know what I mean? Like, think about all my challenges of like car accidents, getting, you know, DUI hit by hitting a tree or a wall. You know, this is the third time I'm running into a fucking wall. You know, like, damn, Eddie, you know, you can figure it out one day. So, you know. So the I important thing is, I'm sorry, you, you don't have insurance, though. So we'll, we'll, and we're going to do No, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to get all that worked on, obviously, you know, because I haven't toured, I haven't done much, you know, I'll be able to get some help with Medicaid. But there's a lot of things that come with this treatment that are not going to be paid for through, you know, uh, state or federal, you know, health care for paupers, you know. Um, and plus, I just spent seven nights in a hospital, you know, uh, a hospital bed is more expensive than spending a night in the Ritz-Carlton or the Plaza, you know, depending on where you are. The hospital bed, the overnight is somewhere between three, eight, maybe even 10 grand a night, you know, just healthcare costs are rape. You know, that's why a lot of people, after they retire, they lose a lot of their nest egg mm-hmm. due to their health issues so you know it's it's better to start improving on your lifestyle your diet and and means to wear you know to stop wearing yourself down because it's going to get expensive you know uh do i want to be in my 80s on a bunch of medications you know feeling decrepit and, and having all those expenses and worries. No, no, but I'm still 25 years plus away from that. There's still a lot of time left for me mm-hmm. and, and I'm not weak. You know what I mean? I might be hurting. I might be sick. I might have the shortness of breath and pain, but I'm still virile. You know what I mean? I still want to work. I still want to do things. You know what I mean? Which is the most important thing because if I'm not being occupied, I'm going to dwell on this shit. And, yeah. um, you know, I'll end up like with a daily thousand yard stare looking into, you know, grim future where I could be being proactive and, you know, have a future. Instead of just looking at grim what ifs, if you know what I mean, I do. So we'll, we'll put the we're gonna put the um the, the GoFundMe will be up under here, and so people support it, please. What? So you, obviously you're not doing you, you're taking a break for anything because you need to take a rest. It's very important. But you also on some level you want to be busy. I want to do the gonna... podcast. You know the podcast is important to keep going. Uh, I've got a new collaborator that I'm actually trying to write music with. You know, not only just for the Leeway NYC. Mm-hmm. Uh, brand but you know I've wanted to do 70 songs that I grew up madly in love with and arrange them into the rock style that you know hardcore brought with the very chunky guitars big bass big drums and whatever other instruments needed to add to that you know um, there's a bucket list 
There's a bucket list, and there has been a bucket list before this diagnosis. You know what I mean? So there is a lot that I wanted to do. You know, as far as collating all the writings to get my autobiography up and rolling, you know, there's a lot of things that I need to get done because I'm not done here, you know? So time is of the essence. I think a book would be good. I yeah. Think would be, I think a lot of people could learn from it too. I think it would, it would help you. It would help. I think it'd be. Well, with the stories and everything else, I think uh, having also a timeline within it where I'm going through the treatment, you know, my thoughts and experiences, and then, you know, kind of doing that, you know, what, what was it? Wayne's world. Yeah. And then going back in time talking about tour moments and experiences, you know, uh, you know, I, I, it, that is very important to me. That also is very important to me. You know, there's, there's so many other things that I want to get done and do aside from getting up and being able to have the wind and strength to perform again and, you know, release more music, you know, all of those things are still just as important, you know, no matter how grim this diagnosis is, like I said, you know, got to just got to keep going. You know, I never saw the movie, the bucket list. I just know the expression. Yeah. I don't know. Me either. I don't know. Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman were dying in the movie and they just wanted to make sure they did all these things before they, you know, kicked the bucket. But, you know, these are the things that I've been talking about doing for a while and a lot of the things that I was about to do last year at this time had to be put on hold within a month because of this damn p- pandemic, you know, that, that kind of screwed everything up and put everything on hold and put everything in the stops. You know, I got to hang out with you today. I'm at, I'm at the Sound Wars studio and Cyclorama soundstage that I get to work out of when I'm up north which is owned by Laz Pina um, of Il Nino, a friend of mine for, geez, almost 35 years now. And, uh, you know, tomorrow I head home from here for a little R&R before I have to come back up here and start the fight. Because the How much do you have to do? Uh, they're talking twice a week for six to eight weeks. And I think the treatment is going to be like every two weeks. So we'll, we'll probably do, you know, I don't know if we're going to be doing it straightforward twice a week for six to eight weeks, maybe uh, do one week, a week off, do another week, a week off. I'll find out. But before I even have to get in there, they have to put like a tube here mm-hmm. out of my chest so they can put the chemo in and directly attack the mass that is in my lung. You know what I mean? And then now we're going to have to monitor the rest of my body to make sure that this carcinoma isn't spreading, you know? And we're at the midway point. We're we're at stage three. We could go to stage four, you know, anytime soon. So there's really no time to to waste. I got to get the fuck to work. I have to get on this, you know? Are you going to be staying in New York while this treatment's going on? Or are you going to go back and forth? It's got to be back and forth. And Carol Lee will be with me at times too, because she wants to be. 
She's just got such an incredible heart. Uh, she's such a ride or die woman in my life. I, I couldn't be blessed with a better partner. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're putting it all together. We're, we're simply putting it all together right now. So, you know, once I get home in 36 hours, more or less, you know, we have a plan of attack and we're going to just plainly take it on and, and beat this, you know. I'd be happy with another decade of my life. Now, I don't know if I want to feel old and decrepit, but I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to go. You know what I'm saying? You know, but, uh, you know, maybe it's a good thing that I've had this wake up call that it could give me a whole new outlet in life that I can inspire even more people than I've ever been blessed to inspire. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, give guidance or or knowledge and information to people that I would have never touched before if I didn't hit this, you know, brick wall again. You know. Well, the fact you got is you found it quickly from the pain. You know, instead of just finding out all of a sudden you have it and being yeah. Well, for, you know, the you pain. Know. I'm just like I don't want to go to the hospital. I can't afford it. You know. Uh, but then once I started coughing up the blood, I thought of my 85 year old grandfather on my mom's side, who was an alcoholic. And I also thought of Jack Kerouac and Jack Kerouac's dad. Um, not that I am a heavy drinker alcoholic, but people that are dealing with inside issues and are starting to have blood build up in places, the veins that tend to top fer- pop first are the esophageal veins. They're like the weakest in the whole body. So when they burst, which happened because of this mass, you start coughing up or even vomiting significant amounts of blood. I wasn't pissing blood. I wasn't crapping blood, but I was coughing up a severe amount of blood, like a pint in 48 hours, bronchioloscopy, almost six ounces. They had to keep me under for 24 hours after the biopsy because I was bleeding so much. That was another story because the biopsy was set for 9 a.m. Monday morning. When I woke up, I was intubated and they strapped my hands down because most people who are intubated, which is what most COVID patients are going through right now in ICU. It's life support. Uh, They wake up and they feel like they're choking from the intubation and they can't talk because they can't touch their lips. There's no way to pronounce things. So all you're doing is going like, and your air is coming out, no words or even sound. And you're tied down because if you're not tied down, most people just go and rip their whole shit up inside. You know, so I woke up at 829 and I thought it was 829 Monday night. No, no, it was 829 Monday morning. I was basically out for 24 hours. They kept me asleep due to the severity of the bleeding. And that's just a way of telling me how serious all this is. And uh, it's time to get at it. You know, there's just no other fucking way, man. I'm pulling for you. I know everyone else is going to be pulling for you. I, know I want to thank you for, sh- for sharing this today, man. I know it's a big thing and 
you know, it's important people get the word out, you know, to A, be aware of themselves and A, you know, help you. If they can help you, you know, it's important. I know there's people out here, out there that are a little bit older than me that have already been through this. Uh, You know, there's a lot of other people that maybe experienced this with their grandparents or their parents. But I also know there's a lot of dudes that are a little younger than me that came up in the scene after me that are doing the same things that I did. And they're assuming like, because they didn't have a drug addiction, uh, you know, monkey on their back like I did, that maybe they're not as sick or unhealthy on the inside. But this is this this type of shit is coming for everybody. You know what I mean? In, in some form or another. We all know, even if you're not a smoker or a drinker, you know, what have you, you know, cancer is one of the biggest killers in, in the world, globally. You know what I mean? Not just COVID, you know, or, or and there's other challenges out of life that people end up dying for. But th- this is serious. This is something that pretty much every other person on the planet could go through at some point in their lives. You know what I mean? So, you know, being informed, establishing a plan of attack, and fighting for it, what you want is is what you got to do. There's just no way to fucking lay down, man. There's just no way. That's too easy. It's, it's just too easy for me. I can't do well, that. Well, you, you just got to take it easy, though, too, at some point. I mean, I'll, I'll check in with you, and I'll share and I'll share with people how you're doing. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be concerned, you know. Yeah, and we could talk about music more than next time around and everything. You know, fine. Get into, like, just the outer story of my life, you know, That's fine. other than music. Just talking to you is good. It's not about, I have just, there's no real goals. It's my, my own content, but I agree with you. you know, agree I'm, with I'm you. just, I, I'm, you know, it's just about conversations, about real conversations with people that, are, you know, have music as a theme, but, you know, this is life. This is important, and this is how life is. There are so. humans behind those faces on the record or CD. Mm-hmm. We're all human. And uh, no matter how godly you think this one or that one may be, you know what I mean? They're still human at the end of the day. And they're all flawed. 